There was an article in last weekend's Wall Street Journal entitled How Florida Became America's GOP Hotspot. And it's an article, as the title would suggest, about all sorts of people, thinkers and influencers who are leaving their home states, including here in California, and moving to the Sunshine State, the home of Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. And it was a reminder for me that it is hard to be a conservative here in Los Angeles, and it is now apparently getting harder still. I have been a conservative now for I don't know how long exactly, though I can trace the exact date or the exact time when I made my shift or began to make my shift, which I'll talk about a little bit here. But when I say I don't know exactly when I became a conservative, I think that's partly due to the fact that, as I said, it's very hard to be a conservative here in Los Angeles to the point that literally pretty much all of my friends here in the city, in this state, are liberal, just really unabashed liberals. Somehow, I have, over time, built up a thick enough skin to be able to come out, that's right, to come out as a conservative, but it's taken me a long time, and it's therefore hard for me to kind of pin down exactly when I proclaimed to myself I was a conservative when I proclaimed to others that I was a conservative. I don't think there was some big moment. I think it was a gradual process, like almost coming out of a, of a den that's, that's down in the ground and sort of checking out the surroundings to see if they're safe, if they're okay. And I think there's a part of me that is still doing that. So one of the things I want to do here, and, and I hope it's of help to others who in certain uh, highly politicized climates and, and, and sort of ideologically entrenched climates, such as the one I live here in, in Los Angeles, or even for those who live in an ideologically entrenched climate that is conservative. I hope that maybe I can pass on a message, an inspiration, that uh, it is okay, it is safe to actually uh, come out with your actual political views. And, and I've been doing that increasingly lately, including in some of the uh, psychological, psychoanalytic, professional circles that, that I'm in that also seem to skew really way leftward. And one of the difficulties right now is that... <laughs> You know, mainstream leftism is really, you know, it's it's really, it's really, it's hard for me to even put into words, but it is very anti-humanist, it is very anti-enlightenment, and it's not something that I can simply chalk up to some extreme element of the left. No, this is mainstream leftism that's, you know, reading people like Ibram X. Kendi, and we can go on and on, but... What I want to focus on here today is sort of processing when I first began to feel like a rightward shift, however slight, though I would say this was significant, might be in the cards. And so for that, I go back to the 1990s and the emergence of the Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal. And for that, I'll return in just a moment. 
there were several things that occurred to me as this scandal unfolded that I felt were lost, completely lost, completely denied by those who voted for, supported, and liked Bill Clinton. And the first thing that I picked up on was that the president had committed an act of infidelity. And I remember listening to my liberal peers and even their parents say that this really wasn't a big deal. They didn't understand what the big deal was about this. This thing or this kind of thing happens in Europe all the time, they said. And it's not a big deal there and it shouldn't be a big deal here. And I listened to that as a child who experienced my stepfather's infidelity with my mother, which traumatically affected me. And I thought of Chelsea Clinton, a child whose father had done this and who had to go to school. And this was all done on a public stage and it was playing out on a public stage. And I thought, how is that feeling for her? And why are we not really having a conversation about the impact of that? Not just this guy as a president, but this guy as a president who happens to be a father with that responsibility. And along with that, I felt that there was a diminishment, a dismissiveness of what a family is. And perhaps I know I run the risk of sounding too conservative when I say this, too conservative for some people, but I really mean this because I felt it then and I continue to feel it now, that there was an act of betrayal that took place that hurt a family. And we had a country, at least a part of this country, that seemed really okay with that. And it just didn't feel okay to me. And in addition to that, there was a cover-up. There was actually an act, an ongoing act of lying, of deceit. And there was a massive portion of this country, the liberal portion of this country, that was willing to go along with that, that was willing to offer up an apologia for Bill Clinton. And I couldn't do that. I simply couldn't do that. I couldn't do that on a personal level, and I couldn't do it on a political level. I couldn't allow in my conscience for it to be acceptable to lower the standard of the presidency to that degree. And so we now find ourselves in this kind of post-Trumpian era. Hopefully it stays that way. But during the Trump presidency, it seemed so lost on liberals that the actions of Bill Clinton and the Clinton presidency and Hillary Clinton helped pave the way for this loosening of moral standards that really set the stage for someone like Donald Trump to enter office. But it made womanizing permissible. It made infidelity permissible on a certain level. If not permissible, then at least, you know, not something so damning that it could keep someone out of the presidency. After all, we had a president who did all those things, got elected, 
did some more of those things and then survived as president of the United States. So what realistically could we expect from Donald Trump if he himself had engaged in those things? But that kind of moral questioning did not occur, and still I feel to a large degree does not occur with the left wing in this country. Years later, in 2003-2004, John Kerry, the Democrat nominee, would run against George W. Bush for the presidency. And I remember in one of his speeches, he questioned conservatives by saying, how can you talk about family values when you don't value families? And I think that is a poignant question here in the context of the conversation we're having today, which is, what does it mean to value a family? What are the various ways in which we can value a family? One of those ways is to ask the government to spend more money on families. And that's something that I see the right wing of this country, frankly, having uh, very sincere conversations about for the first time in a long time. And many people would say that's overdue. But there are other ways as well to really value what a family is. And I think there's a kind of integrity to a family that is really worth considering. It's really important, especially when you start delving into the statistics about what happens to children who come from broken homes, what their odds shape up to be after that home is broken. Two other things that I want to very quickly close with. There is an interview, which I will link to in the show notes with Joni Mitchell, in which she thinks that it was a grave mistake, and she seems to be referring to the 1960s, the the decade out of which Bill Clinton grew and really formed a lot of his ideas, that it was a grave mistake to make vice chic. And I don't want to accuse liberals of making... Bill Clinton's infidelity chic, per se. But I will say that there has been a tendency, and again, this goes back to how it is I became a conservative, a tendency to dismiss certain things as not really important, as as not things that we really need to care about. And I think that's where great conservatism really anchors itself. It anchors itself in a position of what are the things that we want to conserve? What are the things that we really want to keep? Not simply hastily move forward and just say, this is progress. This is progressivism. This is the world changing. This is these, this is this new set of values that because it's new and because it flips a middle finger to the old, it's therefore somehow virtuous. And I think conservatism slows down that conversation in a really important way. And by doing so, by doing so, I think it creates a kind of introspection that was all too missing on Inauguration Day in 2016 when a lot of women chose extremely cringily to wear pink pussy hats. Clearly these were people who had forgotten, perhaps willfully, what had occurred during the Clinton presidency which, not so incidentally for me, 
is when, pardon the pun, the seed was planted for how it is I began my rightward shift. In future episodes, we'll look at some of the other issues that have helped inform that shift and have made me, in most instances, though not all, comfortable at last calling myself a conservative. I'm Dimitri Gatsiunas. Mm-hmm.